It is absolutely mind-boggling to consider what we were just singing, the very nature of our Creator, the one who's the beginning and the end, the one who transcends even time and space, the one there was nothing but God in, in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet simply spoke and the world, the entire universe, was created. The one from whom everything began and the one in whom one day everything will one day end and be completed in the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet we gather Every time that we gather to proclaim, to to live into this truth that Jesus, God the Son, was sent from God the Father in order to live among us humans so that we humans could live into God, the Creator, the magnificent Creator, so that we could live into that God being our heavenly Father, today. And that's why Jesus came. That's what He taught. That's what He accomplished. That we could have a a living, viable relationship with the living God as our Heavenly Father. And and last week, if you were here, uh, ended the, uh, the sermon by asking you a question... How would you describe your relationship with the living God? How would you describe it? Alive, dead, stalled, beginning, ending, unsure? How would you describe that relationship? And I hope you had opportunity to engage around that question. For those uh, that were here and those that weren't, well, now you know what it was. And you can talk about it in a little bit. But I want to start today with another question. And and, and that question then is, how are you developing your relationship with God? How do you spend your time and energy, the life you've been given, how do you spend that life living into God being your heavenly Father? What's the time and energy? What are the the things that you do to develop that relationship? That's the question I want us to keep coming back to as we explore Jesus' words about being the, the representative of God, being God in the flesh. Now, I want to stop just for a moment because I think if if you're in any way like me, which I pray and hope you're not, um, but for those that maybe are, that very fact that I asked that question, how are you developing your relationship with God, may bring guilt to you. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or in any way signal if that's the case. Okay, but the very fact that question gets asked, how are you developing your relationship with God? What are you doing? You know, then may bring guilt. And what I want to do is just sort of let you in on... This is a really scary thing for you, I know. Um, But to let you in on what goes on inside my head when I consider that. 
I mean, because one, you know, I think that kind of guilt is a ploy of the enemy to prevent us from asking those kind of challenging questions and growing from it. That, that kind of guilt that debilitates is one that is a ploy from the evil one that stops us from growing in our relationship with God and doing what's necessary to experience the, the very reason Jesus came. Now, what, what I have, have learned to do in my mind when, when guilt comes is I want to, as quick as I can get my head around it, to name it and say, yeah, that's right. I am guilty. Because most of the time, the reason guilt comes up is because I am. Sometimes it's false, but a lot of times it's true. So that's why I don't want to just, I don't want to dismiss it right off the bat, and I don't want to just give it to Jesus right at the beginning. And I, I want to listen to it. Say, yeah, okay, I am guilty of that, yes. And you, that, that guilt has truth to it. And, and this is what in the power of the, the Spirit I'm going to seek to do to, to change it. And now, Jesus, you can have it. It's yours. To which, usually he says, yeah, I know, I got it. I've had it for about 2,000 years now. I've had that guilt. And it was nailed to the cross. It was destroyed. It died along with me. That guilt doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to me. That's what Jesus tells me. And it's what he tells you as well if that is where you are. For he reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, that, that Jesus took my place. That he who knew no sin became sin for, for me, so that I might become the righteousness of God. But what, what Jesus deserves, I get. What I deserve, Jesus already got. And the same is true for everyone that's in him. So when I feel guilty, I listen to it, I, I, I own it, and then say, here, Jesus, it's yours. Now, be at work in me. And I hope that's the same for you. Because guilt is, uh, from a human standpoint, I find it to be a, hum, a, a terrible long-term motivator. Now, I think it, it brings distrust, it brings anxiety, it, 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 it brings uh, uh, anything but faith and and. and Efforts in the direction of growth. Yeah, it often causes isolation, which is the worst thing that Christians can do, is isolate ourselves. We need one another to support, encourage, and help. So, as I ask you that question, how or do you spend time and effort to develop that relationship with God, to live into God being your heavenly Father? And focus simply on the excitement. The excitement of knowing God as our Heavenly Father. That Jesus has paved the path already. We can't add anything to it. We simply receive it. And focus on that, the, the joy and the privilege of that relationship. You know, I think about all the, the things in our world that are fun to get excited about. Really good things. But they pale in comparison to knowing God as our Heavenly Father. Now, I think about uh, 
all the... I saw a thing on television the other day, and Justin Bieber was in concert. Man, those girls that were lining the streets lined up for that concert, you thought they were giving away million dollars or something. I mean, they were doing backflips and going crazy. Just two weeks ago, I saw my first. A, pe- a bunch of people lined up to, to go to church. I was on the campus of Duke University where they line up to go to basketball games. I've done that. But they were lined up in front of the chapel, camping out for days. I, mean, I, I walked by them two times, and uh, two days in a row, and finally I had to stop and say, okay, you know, what are y'all lined up for? And they were lined up to have their wedding in the chapel next year. On, on June 1st, at 8 o'clock, they opened the door to take reservations for having their weddings on June of 2013. And I thought, well, that's okay. I can live with that. At least they're lined up to go to church. Yeah, that's a good thing. But so, as we ask that question, let us not get caught up in the, in the, the, the guilt, but let us get excited about how the steps that we take to experience God as our Heavenly Father. Uh, the, one of the passages we're going to look at is John chapter 6, verses 27 through 35. It's found on page 867 in your pew Bible. If you uh, want to turn there, or you can follow along on the screen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this time to gather. We pray that you will continue to speak to us, uh, to us corporately and to us individually. Uh, Lead us with your written word as it enables us to live into your living word in the power of your spirit that you might truly be our heavenly father. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. John chapter 6 starting with verse 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on Him that God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, His disciples, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him, whom He has sent. So they said to Him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
This is the bread of heaven. He is the bread of heaven. The very one that, that God has set his seal of approval upon. As he said in the first verse of what we read. That Jesus is God in the flesh. That Jesus is and has made the way to the Father for an intimate relationship with Him. And so, and and nothing else. Not CHPC, not American Christianity. It's Jesus that we center upon. It's Jesus who tethers us. It's Jesus who draws us. It's Jesus who enables us to be children of our Heavenly Father. That's why when we pray so often the the church without walls prayer, you'll notice we say Jesus more than any other word because we're centered on Him. All that we do flows through and from Him. But you catch the beginning of the passage. He says, so, so work towards it. Jesus has done it all, but now make effort. Not for bread of this world, but for the bread of heaven. Work towards that. Make efforts towards living into that truth, receiving that bread and living into that relationship with our heavenly Father. It goes back to our initial question. How? How would you say you are laboring? How would you say that the time you're spending your life intentionally and your energy and time to live into God being your heavenly Father? Now look at John chapter 17, verse 3. should be on the screen. Let's uh, say this together. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. A couple things from that passage. You can keep that one up, Barry. Uh, one, just note that eternal life. You know, this, this is a word from Jesus, what he's saying, even though he sort of speaks of himself in the third person. Uh, this is eternal life. Uh, that they, that all that are around him may know you. Important to recognize that definition about eternal life, that it's not just about quantity of days. Eternal life is not just about living forever. Because we understand that everybody does that. Everybody lives forever. It's a matter of with whom. And eternal life here is a quality, not just quantity. It's about living with God. I mean, that's the definition that he gives. This is eternal life, that they may know you, speaking of God the, the Father, through Jesus Christ, God the Son, whom the Father has sent. This is eternal life, to, to live with God. But not just to live with Him, sort of like side by side, but to live in relationship with Him, to know him. I mean, and, and in this word, know, is not just to know in our head. That's probably one of the greatest sins of, of Presbyterians, is that we live in our head. And this word know is not just that you can spout off 
the, the qualities and characteristics of, of God. Not, not so that I, I can memorize so many passages, even though all that's really good stuff. But to, to, know, to know God in this way is to know God experientially. To know God intimately. It's the same word that is used in the beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2, where we're told that Adam knew Eve and they had children. It is an intimate, experiential knowledge of our Creator. That's why Jesus came. So that we humans could know God, live into God as our Heavenly Father. It is mind-boggling to consider this truth. It takes simply faith and trust beyond what we're able to conjure up. But it is the very heart of God and the very power of God. I want to look at one other passage that sort of speaks to that. It sort of sideways looks at it, but it's Mark chapter 12, verses 24 through 27. And what's happening here is Jesus is interacting with the Sadducees. The Sadducees are a group of religious leaders. And these group of religious leaders, they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe that we live with God forever. And so Jesus is answering their, their question here in this passage. They, they came up with him. They, they're trying to trick him. And they said, Jesus, if, if we live with God forever, then what happens if this woman here gets married and her first husband dies and she remarries and the second husband dies and, and then she remarries again and the third husband dies and goes on and on. It happens seven times. Well, in heaven, in the resurrection, who's she married to? And Jesus responds to that kind of trick question with these uh, words. Maybe one of my favorite passages in the Scriptures. Jesus said to them, Is not this the reason you are wrong? That you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the story about the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is God not of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Two things just catch me from, from that. The, the first verse and the, the, the last verse of what we just read. But one, just the absolute necessity of the Scriptures. He turns to the religious leaders and says, Hey, don't you guys know the story? I mean, how can you live the story? How can you live into God if you don't know God's story? Absolutely necessary for us to live into God as our Heavenly Father, for us to live in the Scriptures and know God's story. And we can't just read it as a story. A story like we read about Paul Bunyan with just a nice moral, but a story that is history. It is his story, a story that does proclaim the very power of God. 
And the religious leader in Jesus' day had, had neglected both. They'd forgotten the story and forgot that God was the powerful one who brought it about. The, the scriptures and understanding God's power are necessary as we live into God being our heavenly Father. There, there has to be at least some openness to God. To saying, God, I want you to be my Father, lead me. And believing that He's capable of doing it. Like the, the, the beggar on the side of the road, though crying out, God, I believe, help my unbelief. It's not dependent upon the amount of faith we have. It's dependent upon the power of God. But there must be within us at least that openness of God to work in our lives. So in the scriptures, uh, the openness to God, and then finally that, that great phrase at the end, and don't you know, God is the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. Do you remember when Moses was at the burning bush? And there God met Moses and said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the, I'm the God of, of your ancestors. To which Jesus says, as he looks back at that story, don't you know, God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And for us today, that truth still bears great meaning. He is the God of the living for us today. He wants to be intimately connected to us as our Heavenly Father, we as His children. So back to that opening question. How then am I spending time and effort to live into God as my Heavenly Father? We identify our own faith, identify our own trust level. You know, that there's some openness, some desire for God to be alive in us. It's necessary for us to, to spend time in the scriptures, to, to know the story, to know God's story, because God is faithful. How God has acted, God will continue to act. And, and we must live into that story. I was so encouraged when uh, one of uh, us uh, was, was just telling me their, their new morning habits. And they said now that they've just, they, they now, their, their first habit in the morning, the first thing they want to read are the scriptures. And they caught themselves They're telling me how, you know, they went and got the newspaper, started to read the newspaper. It's like, oh, wait a minute, I can't read this yet. And went to sit with the, the scriptures first. Now, it's, it's necessary that that's part of our diet that we are in the scriptures and that we're in the scriptures together. Whether it's in small groups and a number of different things, whether it's in classes, gatherings, and in foundational hour, that's why those are there for us to be in the scriptures, to be schooled again in, in God's story so that we live that story that we're reminded of God's power. And it's necessary for us to do that together. Not in isolation only, but with one another. And that we talk and listen to God. That we simply spend time alone with God in prayer. By ourselves with God. Both talking and listening. 
whatever works best for you. If it's by yourself, it's while you're walking, while you're driving, while you're standing on your head. doesn't matter. Do what allows you to be alone with God and listen and talk. I also want to relate this to our congregational meeting. It's just coming up in a, a little bit. And, and to understand that this is our task. As, as a church of Jesus Christ, this is our very purpose, that we are helping one another inside and outside the church to live into God being our Heavenly Father. That's the reason that Jesus came. It's what He enables us to do and experience. And it's the very purpose of the church. And if we're not doing that, then we can be a lot of good things, but we're not the church of Jesus Christ. So as as we, as a congregation, seek God, the question for us is, do we enter into this discernment process with the, the denomination, with the presbytery or not? And the leading question for me as whether or not we do that or not, is one, is, is our current denominational relationship, is it helping us help one another and those outside the church experience God as their heavenly Father? And if it's helping us and needs no improvement, then we don't need to embark on this process. But if our denominational relationship, from what you sense, from what we sense as a congregation, is hindering or it's sort of neutral, or there's place for improvement, then it's wise to engage in a process of discernment so that we can carry out the very task, the central purpose of the church, to the best of our ability. Whether that means we need to rearrange that relationship, re-understand it, or, or make a new one, or something in between. But if it's good and doesn't need improvement to fulfill this task, then we don't need it. But if there's ways to improve it so that we can fulfill this task, then it's a wise process to go into with that purpose in mind. Because it's this relationship with our Heavenly Father that is the most crucial relationship of our lives. It's this relationship with our Heavenly Father that is the most crucial relationship in our lives and it therefore takes top priority in time and effort necessary to develop relationships. I remember I was a, a junior in college and I was in my dorm room, dorm room just minding my own business. And this... Uh, Girl comes to my door, who I knew, been sort of dating, sort of off and on. Really, it was a relationship, a nice relationship of convenience. That we were just sort of hanging out. And this girl, she knocked on the door saying, you know, um, this guy asked me out on his, uh, uh, to his formal, so I'm going to go with him. I played it cool, of course. Oh, that's great. Happy for you. Have a good time. And then close the door, turn around, and fell on my knees. Now, I, literally, I mean, I was like, 
wait a minute, one, God, why is there all this emotion going on inside of me? And two, what, what are you telling me? And just for a while there, uh, for about 30 minutes, just sort of wrestling with that, looking at 1 Corinthians 13, what is love and all that kind of stuff. And in that time, and in a, another conversation or two with that particular girl a little bit later, it dawned on me, relationships take effort. Yeah, I'm a slow learner on that one. They, they, they don't just happen. Relationships of convenience are really not long-lasting and next to meaningless. And if this relationship was going to be real, then you know I needed to get on the bus and go knock on her door and say, Hey, can we go have lunch? And then I needed to sit down and really listen and talk and really listen. And talk and share lives with one another. It's eventually why I married her. Because she really does teach me about relationships. But how much more so our relationship with God. It's not just a relationship of convenience. It's not one that's just going to happen. It is one that that we want to give ourselves to with excitement, with energy, with joy. That's the very purpose that we gather in our greatest desire of all. Now, now what I want to do is take three minutes. Yes, a full 180 seconds. And we'll be as silent as we can be. But what I want you to do, just with your own pen and paper and your own head or with your own um, whatever touch screen you might have or need, whatever way to write down, but I want you to explore that question that I've been asking you along. What is the time and effort that you're giving to your relationship with God? And I'll add one more. What do you want it to be? What do you want it to be? What is it and what do you want it to be? And if, if, those are, if you answer the same to those questions, that's great. Praise the Lord and rejoice. And, and, and simply enjoy that moment. Yeah, enjoy that moment. Very good. If not, then hear from the Lord. What are... Steps, actions for, for you. Effort to make for the bread of heaven. When we eat, we do not hunger and we do not thirst. Let's take uh, three minutes.
Amen. And may God bless uh, the, what he has uh, taught us and the efforts that we give.